Today's episode of The Oil Can is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe to your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen to GoToMeeting.com slash tips. That's GoToMeeting.com slash tips. week uh, in our world and uh, the Edmonton Oilers involved a great deal. Uh, Daniel, how are you this morning? I'm fine. Uh, yeah, just a day unknown here at the, the home base. Uh, just <laughs> you know, trying to kind of make each day a little bit different than, than the next. But um, yeah, it's been an, it's been a, uh, you know, a, an odd uh, you know, few days, but or I should say a few weeks. Um, but I'm looking forward to t- actually kind of actually talking to, to a couple other people other than my cat and my wife here so this will be exciting <laughs> Jonathan Willis you're an expert in social distancing just because of where you live but how are you doing up there <laughs> well it's another day that ends in why but other than that I, c- I couldn't really tell you anything about the week uh, yeah like like Daniel this is this is what I get for social interaction these days so I'm looking forward to it so it's our it's our online coffee clutch uh, together, um, as as you both know and have been writing about, uh, uh, and obviously we've been reading a lot and 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 watching people reach out as they could uh, during a very difficult time. Uh, the the big story this week for us is Colby Cave, and uh, Daniel, you did such a spectacular job on on tracking and writing about this. Several stories uh, for the Athletic uh, the last week or so as the story kind of developed in real time. If you would maybe just take us through the process of of you know we we heard about it and then uh, just the the real tragedy of it. I'm sure as a as a a, a journalist and as a writer. Uh, it, it moved you, obviously. We saw that in your writing, but but tell us about the the last week or so as you tracked the Colby Cave story. Well, it really kind of hit home for me uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, uh, his entire WHL career um, matched up with with my um, with my time covering that league. And, and I, for those who don't know, I covered the Saskatoon Blades from uh, the 2011-12 season to the 2014-15 season, which again was. Uh, was Colby Cave's entire career with the uh, with the Swift Current Broncos, so a division rival. So, so I saw him play quite a bit, and you know, really came to kind of respect and 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 really noticed him on the ice every time. And and um, actually wrote about when he uh, you know had a phone interview with him, being a local guy He's from North Battleford, which is pretty close to, to Saskatoon, which is our coverage area. So when he signed with the Boston Bruins, I remember uh, speaking to him on the phone and just how how excited he was uh, with you know getting that opportunity to sign. Uh, his pro contract in it, you know, coming off a, a pretty solid overage year. So, um, yeah, I, I connected with him uh, when he, you know, was was acquired by the Oilers uh, via waivers last year, and, and we talked a little bit about that. And he's just a really pleasant guy um, to, to to know. And 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 so, you know, firstly, when 
that information came out that you know he he was in a coma and and, and all this had happened um i think you know, jonathan wilson and i were, were talking with bob stoffer and it was just you know uh, on our last podcast i should say and 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 that it was just such a such a wake-up call i mean you know obviously uh, nobody saw this coming and and uh you know for somebody 25 years old uh, i have a sister who's a couple years older um you know people that age are, are, are supposed to be healthy and, and and living well as as he was um but for this to happen was just it was so unbelievable and, and I, I could say i knew colby a little bit uh but but hardly uh, you know it would be unfair or, or you know untrue to say that uh you know i knew him very well but as i started to talk to a lot of people this week about him um it became so apparent of, of how well liked and how respected he was uh as far be you know far for far beyond his his skills on the ice i mean um i couldn't you know naturally i couldn't find any anyone that had a bad word to say about him and and, and guys that barely you know knew him uh you know uh, garnet hathaway trained with him this summer as I, as I wrote for one of the stories and um he he really he said he just wished he got to know him even more and for, and for, for players that uh, were his teammates for, for much longer. He felt like they were the lucky ones that, that got to play with this guy and got to, to learn what, what he was all about. Um, Nelson Noje, who, who I knew or who I know fairly well from, from covering the Western League, he's a defenseman for the Manitoba Moose, the, the Winnipeg Jets uh, organization. He just said he was you know one of the best people all around that he, that he knew. So, um, I, you know, it's, everyone saw the tribute, uh, with all the cars there, uh, helping, you know, leading his parents back home, uh, after their, what they went through in Toronto and having to put, uh, you know, uh, having to, uh, to see Colby, uh, off like that. Uh, it was a tremendous, uh, tremendous reception and, and, um, I really feel for obviously his friends and family, my deepest condolences to them. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll echo Daniel's comments there. I think, one of the things that really came through in his reporting and and in the reporting that that others have done on this story was just how how loved um, Cave was by the people who knew him. Uh, I, I think it was a shock to us all to see somebody so young uh, leave us so quickly. Uh, it's a, it's a tragedy, no matter how you look at it. But I, I think the the one of one of the things you can do is look at people's legacy in 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 situations like this and and cave obviously had an outsized impact on the people around him which is all any of us can do uh and and the fact that you know they're they're going to go forward with the foundation to 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 help kids like that that's a that's another that's another thing that's going to make his memory live on and uh you know a credit to to his family and those around him and and obviously just uh just just tremendously saddening news for us all i noticed in in the uh, 31 thoughts by elliot friedman this morning he had uh, a brief line about uh, you know bakersfield possibly uh retiring caves number 26 uh he he was a player that that i always track the draft eligibles and his numbers were were pretty solid like he didn't get drafted but he could have he he had the resume to do it but i always i think we all do you always cheer for a guy who uh undrafted built his way up uh i know the bruins uh were not happy to lose him on waivers and i know that the Oilers really valued him and and uh uh the 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 tragedy of the story and the fact that it occurs now with the coronavirus, I have a son exactly the same age and, and uh, the, the, the fact that, that, you know, 
those folks in Saskatchewan, they can't take over, uh, you know, ordinarily you'd, you'd, you'd see such a social gathering and such a support. And, and I thought that, uh, whoever thought of that idea, I mean, it, it, it brought me to tears. It was such a, um, you know, it, you can overcome, and that's an example of it. I, I thought the entire story, as tragic as it was, it really does, you know, show the heart of, of that community. Um, I, I also thought, as you said, John, the foundation, uh, it all happened very quickly, but, but I think that's a reflection of Colby Cave and the person that he was, uh, that people really felt like there there immediately needed to be um, a legacy. So, um and once again, Daniel, just at the end here, as we move on to talk about uh, other things, just uh, I just wanted to, to highlight how I, I was sitting and and reading about him, and I really appreciated your work on that uh, as during that week there, where you were constantly updating um, uh, the situation in real time, and it was very much appreciated. Um, John, I wanted to draw attention to a piece that you did about the playoff roster and what it would look like and who should start um i I, let's start by asking uh, what kind of feedback you got on that i imagine it was quite a bit uh yeah yeah it's um well the thing is the the oilers have some difficult choices to make if there is an nhl season this year uh we've talked a lot about who might play with Connor mcdavid but i mean you you look down the lineup they've got 15 guys up front who were fairly regular forwards this year. They've got eight NHL caliber defensemen and they've had a rotation in net all year. So everybody's got an opinion on it. Um, the, the piece I wrote was just, just my viewpoint and, and, uh, naturally everybody differs uh, I, I like Mike Green and Caleb Jones on the third pair lots of people like Chris Russell and Matt Benning which you know was also quite a decent third pair for the Oilers um, there there's uh, if the Oilers come back this year Dave Tippett's going to have some some tough decisions and uh, he's not going to make everybody happy <laughs> I think what stood out about uh, John's piece, and and you know, we've, you kind of think about this throughout the course of the year, that when when the Oilers are healthy, I, th- I think there's a decision to be made between Alex Chason and James Neal for who actually you know is, is plays, uh, let alone you know gets a spot on the first power play unit. Uh, there's a strong likelihood that one of those players would be sat out, uh, which is which is you know I mean obviously Alex Chason you know he actually has been scratched a couple games this year. Uh, James Neal you know they went to more than a month there in February uh, and a little on either side of him not playing due to injury. Um, but those are, are are two you know veteran forwards that um, you know you expect to 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 figure into the offense. Obviously, you know um, we talked at length about um, James Neal and his production being predominantly on the power play. Uh, uh, that was kind of Alex uh, Chason's bread and butter last year, and as a result, his his numbers have kind of uh, fallen off this year. But um, those are two players that you know you you would expect uh, to to find their way onto the roster. But just looking at the way John um, kind of spelled it out, uh, which I believe to be to be pretty accurate, I, you know you, you think there's only room for, for one of those guys, um, which which is which is kind of startling when you when you see it that way. Um, that was that was kind of the big takeaway for me, and and I think I think that's correct. I think I'm not sure. If if Jonathan's right or wrong, but I think that's 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 where one of the key decisions is going to come down. I felt like uh, the Green is a no brainer. Uh, if you look at Ken Holland's career uh, as a general manager, when he acquires a, a defenseman, 
Uh, I think the last guy that he acquired who didn't play much was Corey Cross in 06. They, you know, Gr- Green was brought, I think Green might have been brought here to play second pair. Uh, and, and he looked pretty good in the game and a half that he had. Um, the other thing that I, that I, and I, I keep having this conversation with people and I get it and I understand that, that Mike Smith had a great run in Jan and Feb, but I am surprised that, that more people aren't, uh, um, aggressively touting Koskinen in the rotation. And I know it would be a rotation, but oftentimes in playoffs, a, a, a coach will find his goaltender uh, and run with that player. And, and I, I mean, I, maybe I'm wrong guys, but I think Koskinen has a story to tell. And, and if, you know, my feeling is that, that, uh, you know, Smith is, is like all or nothing. I, I think I'd like a guy who gave me a chance and Koskinen would be my guy. Yeah, I, I think Koskinen's the well. He, he's been the better goalie over the course of the year. You look at the numbers; there's really not much question about that. Smith's an interesting guy, though. You can see why he has his fans. He he did go on that crazy hot streak. There's the his play with the puck, which is uh, a, you know a, a real asset. Um, and I, you know Daniel would have a better sense of this than me, but the the from traveling with the team, the impression I got was that Smith was a guy who really had a leadership role in that room whereas Koskinen's you know more of a quiet reserved character I, I'd start Koskinen I, I see the argument for Smith but um, you know two two good goalies but you, you got to go with the guy who's who's been more consistent overall I think yeah I agree with with Jonathan like the numbers bear it out that Koskinen obviously has been the better goalie and, and I think uh, Jonathan's piece from uh, when there was hockey, <laughs> uh, about the about who should start in the playoffs, I, I think that was just on the cusp of the season uh, being postponed there in, in mid March. Um, was really a well done piece. Um, just in regards to Smith in the locker room, I, I would really encourage any of our listeners that, that haven't had the chance to, to listen to it to check out the uh, the the two-man advantage podcast from last week where Wayne Gretzky came on and, and spoke uh, to uh, Scott Burnside and, and Pierre Lebrun. And, and he was just saying that he hasn't seen a goalie in all of his years really, you know, galvanize a, a, a room and, and, and really kind of lift the team. And, and there is a little bit to, uh, of truth to that, I think. Like, uh, guys really like Mike Smith. He's obviously... Um, a little bit more uh, jovial and outgoing than that a lot of goaltenders are, and 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 uh, you know uh, obviously when he fought Cam Talbot, uh, that he's kind of a, a guy that will kind of lift the, the spirits of a team, uh, you know, as, as opposed to kind of being a lone wolf. Um, but all that aside, I think you still have to obviously uh, go with the the guy that you think uh, would be the, the you know the the best <laughs> in, in the best position to to kind of lead the team and I think that would be Koskinen this year but again they they obviously do have um a good uh you know 1A or what have you in, in Mike Smith but yeah again I, I think Koskinen's your guy uh Daniel you mentioned podcast want to mention Bruce Boudreaux joined uh, Michael Russo on straight from the source this week at the athletic check that one out as well uh, boys, that one of my I always look forward to anything Taylor Hall because uh, as a guy who works on the radio uh, daily, he he has a tendency to create all kinds of rage, both good and bad, among Oiler fans. Uh, he's a touch point, as they say. Uh, he told uh, Pierre LeBrun this week that he wants the security of a longer term deal. Um, Daniel, maybe I'll start with you on this. Uh, your thoughts on and and. Trust me, I'm going to be very, very aggressive on getting Taylor Hall because I think that's that's a great piece for the Oilers. Uh, 
realistically, if he wants a long-term deal, does that make Edmonton less likely to be able to get him? It's it's just the the thing with this is it's just so hard to know right now to me, um, because you know we we have no idea really what the salary cap was. You know, if if they were looking at that eighty four ish million cap that they were talking about a week before the season was postponed, um, you know, like we the the chances I think would be would be you know a lot better. Um, it, you know, if if the cap has to drop. Uh, I mean, who knows? Maybe they're allowed a compliance buyout, and you know, logically that would would probably be if they were to take it, would be somebody like James Neal um, to clear up some space. <sighs> you know, like Taylor Hall, in a way, is kind of exactly what they need. I mean, there seems like they're just maybe a defenseman, maybe a lower uh, depth guy, but really, like they could use a, t- a top six winger. Uh, to complement, at least right now, it seems like like Connor McDavid. Now maybe Hall and McDavid are aren't the right combination, but but there's no question Taylor Hall is that top six winger. Uh, it's just the the salary um, demands and and the salary cap uh, to me makes it so uncertain right now. Um, you know if if he was going in on a on a short term deal maybe, um, but if the the cap does become clear and uh, the cap situation rather. Uh, and, and maybe there are, is a way to do it. I mean, he would he would fit in. Um, as we talked about before, I'd be leery about offering him uh, too long of a deal in terms of, of length, obviously. Um, um, somebody, obviously, he's, he's been hurt quite a bit, and you know, he's, he's you know getting up there in terms of, of age. We've seen a lot of these guys in their late 20s uh, sign contracts and, and then um, kind of the bottom fall out mid, mid, midway through or toward the end, or, or obviously even in the case of, of you know, Milan Lucic and, and some others uh, in that 2016 class, uh, the bottom falling out pretty early. So I'd be leery about length, but he certainly is a guy that I would, I would target, but if they can, whether or not they can do it, I think a lot depends on the salary cap and, and what it's going to look like. Daniel raises a lot of good points. Obviously, he's a hundred percent correct on the uncertainty element. I, I'm a little, I'm a little more bullish on the idea of of uh, giving Hall a deal with term, just because I like the injury risk. Daniel highlights is real. There's no question about that. Uh, I think he's the kind of player who will age out a little more gracefully because he's got you know high end speed. He's uh, and and he's and he's an elite talent. Like you don't win a heart trophy by being less than an elite talent, especially at five on five, which is where the Oilers are are really weak. I I don't know if he'd play with McDavid or Drysaitel in this this world where where the Oilers land him because you could make a case that you stick him next to Drysaitel and that frees up Nugent Hopkins to to play with McDavid. But you could also say, well, he's only played seventy six minutes with McDavid under Todd McClellan, so maybe there's something there that that McClellan. Uh, didn't find or, or didn't allow to develop. Um, in terms of whether it makes it easier or more difficult for the Oilers to sign him, like like Daniel says, we're all operating in the dark here, but I'd, I'd be inclined to think that it might make it easier because if, if Hall really is adamant about getting term this year, it's going to be a year where every team's facing a salary cap crunch and he's not going to be able to command the kind of dollars that we, we thought he would at the start of the season. So, you know, if he takes a short-term deal, then he can go out and get big money wherever he wants, potentially. But if he's really opposed to taking a short-term deal and he wants to get term now, he's going to be getting term, to me, at the worst possible moment in the market, which is probably good news in terms of Edmonton's ability to fit him in. 
I I'm all in on Hall. That's I I would absolutely. The only thing that I worry about with Hall is you have you know twelve and a half with McDavid. You've got eight and a half. That's twenty one with Leon. We don't know what Nuge's contract is going to be. Uh, let's say he just miraculously signs for six million again. I'm not saying he will, but let's just say that that's twenty seven mil. It will. I think the price point on Hall. You there will reach a point where it's too rich, but beyond that, I would go long and and deep with with Hall because I uh, his the things that make him a fine player like foot speed and creativity. Um, he should be fast when he's thirty four, uh, or at least fast enough when he's thirty four. So I, I like I look at him and I go, this is a guy who's known to the team. Uh, they would they would absolutely know his background. Uh, the, the fans are always talking about reasons why he was dealt. None of that matters. Uh, uh, he's a he's a very fine player. I think he's a plug and play. Uh, you can only imagine what damage he could do with McDavid or without McDavid. But I, uh, I'm I think I'm more encouraged now because it feels like a lot of teams don't have the room. It would mean a Neil buyout, probably a chase on trade and a Russell trade. And uh, I, I think it would do things like put Darnell Nurse's future in a little bit of, of not doubt, but a little less likely because he's two years and then uh, they have to find the money to sign him. And I also wonder if they can afford a top four forwards of, of McDavid, Dreisaitl, Nuge and Hall, because that's going to be in terms of, of you know, the amount you're spending, that's almost half probably of your entire budget. What do you think about spending that much on four forwards, Daniel? Um, maybe not ideal. Again, I, I think it depends on what the, what the cap is. Um, if it's going down, I think it looks less uh, appealing. Now, the, the team that kind of comes to mind when you say that is the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I, I, I'm just trying to work out the math in my head, but uh, I, I would suspect that even, you know, at Taylor Hall uh, getting a decent contract uh, with the cap being what it is, they would still be spending less than, than, than the Leafs. Now, um, I don't think you necessarily want the, the defense that the Leafs have uh, where they have Morgan Riley and a bunch of guys on, on one-year deals and, and, you know, tr- you know, I guess they did sign Jake Muzzin now too, but that basically trying to kind of fill in the rest of that roster. So um, there's some pros and cons there, but um, uh, you know, I, I think in a perfect world, you'd, you'd want to spend the money out uh, or spread the money out rather, uh, you know, in, in a better way. But, you know, if they can get to call at the right price uh, at the right term, I, you know, I, I think that's, that's something definitely worth considering. Daniel's entirely right to mention Toronto and and one of the things that kind of stands out to me about Toronto is they've got three players in with eight digit contracts so if you know with with Dreisaitl signing when he did when the market was where it was uh, for long term like at eight and a half million dollars he's not getting paid like Mitch Marner or John Tavares or Austin Matthews Um, the Oilers don't even have a you know like he's 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 as close to William Nylander as he is to those guys. Um, you look at Nugent Hopkins, maybe he gets a contract in the, in the Nylander range, something like 7 million bucks. Um, I, I don't know what the number on Hall would be is because of, of all the uncertainty this year, but, but that is one of the things is they would be in a better position than Toronto. And I'd argue because they have so many young defensemen who you can probably get on, you know, cost controlled deals they're they're in a better position defensively than Toronto is to uh, to have that kind of um, that group of forwards. So I, I I think it's doable. It'd be very very tough to be sure, but um, but doable. 
it's it's a fascinating talking point and I, I know we'll pursue that as time goes on uh, a couple of quick notes here um Anton Slepeshev stays in Russia uh it looks like Philip Broberg is going to spend another year uh, in Sweden, although Ken Holland did talk about him coming over for training camp. Uh, boys, I'll start with you, John. Your thoughts on both of those and, and whether or not we see a, a European signing a la Slepeshev, uh, but another individual. Yeah, I, I think so. Slepeshev's a loss. Um, it would have been nice to get him. He's big, he's fast, he's had a good year in Russia, but obviously there's a price point at which it becomes very difficult to, to make that decision, and you you can't really argue with them for for walking away if if Slepeshev's contract demands are ridiculous. We've seen Holland get value this year out of guys like Nygaard and uh, Gaetan Haas. Respectfully to both those players, I think Slepeshev was more of a sure thing because of his past NHL experience, and I, I think you know the KHL is a better league than the Swiss league or the Swedish league, and and he'd been a top performer there. I I, th- I thought he could be a third line guy for the Oilers, but if you're getting up past you know 1.3 or 1.5 million, it's it's probably too dear. I I don't mind Broberg staying in Sweden another year. The Oilers have all kinds of depth on left defense. You kind of hinted at this with with the nurse comments. R- regardless of what they do up front, they've got some tough decisions coming defensively the next few years with all these prospects coming in. They you, you can't have you, you can only have so many left shot defensemen and they're going to have to make choices. Um, there's no rush to make a decision on Broberg. He had a good year in Sweden. He'll have a larger role. Sweden is a very good league to develop defensemen in, as we've seen with, with so many examples over the years. So uh, both, both interesting stories. Um, both make their North American rosters a little bit weaker this coming year. Uh, but I don't anticipate either being, you know, overly negative for the Oilers. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, um, I'll start with Broberg because I, I've been kind of following this story a little bit more. Um, it, this seemed like it was something that was going to as close to set in stone as as, uh, as it was before. It was actually confirmed by Ken Holland uh, last week, I believe. Um, yeah, I talked to um, Scott Housen, the outgoing um, director of player personnel, um, a little while ago, and, and he was basically, you know, confirmed that for me at the end of March. Uh, it's kind of been out there and, and something that, that it just seemed to make sense. I mean, uh, as John, Jonathan alludes, like they're, they're, they have a lot of depth on defense. Um, I think Broberg, uh, I think the, the way Scott Housen, uh, described it was that he was, um, like he was, there was a I can't I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but basically over not overwhelmed, uh, but he was he was kind of taking on a lot, especially early in, in the year. Um, so just give him another year. His role will probably grow on that team. Uh, hopefully, get a little bit more you know special teams time. Um, and and I mean the that league as Jonathan said uh, you know is is a good league for developing defensemen. So I think the plan is for him to come over to either Bakersfield or who knows the NHL the following year. So. 2122 um and, and there there might be more of an opportunity for him uh, in North America and, and and at that time but they're leaving him where they're comfortable which is something that the Oilers haven't really done uh or have you know obviously the the case study there is Jesse Pugliarvi uh so I think they're they're doing the right thing um and there's not the rush to bring him in as for for Slepeshev, I think it's it's just an unfortunate, you know, situation where it would have been nice to to give him another look on this team. Um, there might have been, uh, you know, a whole kind of third line or so uh, for him to to 
to play, but you have to watch. Um, it's the old expression, uh, take care of the nickels and the dimes and the dollars will take care of themselves. So uh, I, I don't think you want uh, to, to kind of give them more than, than Josh Archibald, who is a known commodity. I think that's kind of been out there. Um, and, and, you know, with with the, the cap and, and, and all that stuff, I, he probably had a, more of a sure thing, I would think, in Russia. Um, but I would think this ultimately kind of ends any any uh, real chance of him ever coming back to the Oilers because obviously he does and can become a free agent um, when his contract's up in a couple of years. So too bad, but uh, I think they'll be able to f- kind of fill that hole in another way. But it, it might not be uh, exactly what they wanted in terms of if they were allowed to or able to get Slepyshev. But uh, I don't think it's a, as a you know a crushing loss as as uh, you know it, it might have been or could have been. The thing about Broberg and and Bouchard in this a little bit, really since 2015, been observing the Oilers since the WHA days, uh, and and this stockpile of defensemen that this team has right now. I I think maybe I'm wrong, but I don't recall a time where where so many draft picks and so much of the procurement has been devoted to defense, and it's going to be fascinating. As John said earlier, uh, you know, in terms of free agent dollars devoted to forwards, because there's a pipeline that is so strong, and and a lot of these guys are going to be in their entry level deals, and Jones just signed a really sweet deal from the from the team perspective, uh, in terms of cap hit. This is a very interesting story going forward, and Broberg is a part of that. They can slide him another year. It would be interesting. Before we get to Daniel, who has a a quiz for us, I just wanted to say on behalf of all the cats who remember the WHA, Daniel, thank you for your piece on Jacques Plante. It was was just a flashback in time. The photo flashed me back. The Al Hamilton quotes and the John Short quotes just threw me right back there. Uh, And I was so fascinated with Al Hamilton's opinion about Plante playing only all home games. I I thank you for that. It was it was a it was like opening up a, a, a an attic or something. Reading about the WHA Oilers, it's such a rare thing to read about. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was part. It's part of a uh, a package we're doing at the Athletic uh, called "I Can't Believe It's True." So uh, I, I wrote about uh, Jacques Plante and his one year in the in the WHA. Um, Jonathan uh, wrote about the uh, the Oilers getting into the NHL, which was also a really neat piece. And I think I have at least one more and hopefully uh, another one uh, over the next couple days uh, that I think Oilers fans will really enjoy. So that's as big a tease as I can give. Uh, but I think there might be a co- at least one more, maybe two uh, coming uh, in this package. So that's something to keep, a, keep an eye and an ear out for. So let's talk about your... Um your quiz because I, I got a little note on this. I don't know a lot about it, but I'm interested in it. All right. So um, there's a there's a line, you know, greatness uh, borrows and genius steals. So I can't take full credit for this one. Uh, this was a game <laughs> show our athletic colleague, uh, Scott or, or Sean McIndoe, rather, um, did on, on his podcast, uh, Puck Soup. So basically, it, it's pretty simple. Um, what, what I'm going to do is we're going to rotate between the two of you. And I'm going to give you an Oiler, and I'm going to give you a season. And you have to tell me, did this particular player play for the Oilers during this particular season? Um, so there's ten guys. You'll each get five. And uh, I'll, I'll let Al you decide if you want to go first or, or pass the first player off to, to John. Well, I, I, I believe in getting in and, and making myself look silly early, so I'll start. Okay. Okay, I'm going to start pretty easy. and I, 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 have, I have a lot of confidence in you, Al, so... Grant Fear, 1980-1981. Is he an Oiler? 
Fierro was drafted in 81. Uh, five overall? Eight overall? Can't remember the number. Uh, so I think Andy Moog was drafted in 80. So I will say uh, uh, Fierro's first year would have been 81, 82, I believe. That's right. You're right. He was still in junior. So one, one for you, Al. <laughs> okay, John. <laughs> okay, so we're, we're still in the 80s. Marty McSorley. Was he an oiler in 1984-85? Oh, so Al is going to crush me at this because he's much older than I am. But um... <laughs> Thanks for that, John. 84-85. My memory is totally blanking because I, I would have got Fear too because he won the Vezina in 82. Or he was a runner-up for the Vezina in 82 and it was his rookie year and I remember that. McSorley, I do not remember which year he came in. I'm going to say he was there in 85. He was not. No, he was still <sighs> in Pittsburgh, mostly in the AHL for the Baltimore Skipjacks. So, um, so commanding lead for uh, Al. Alan, yes. A one <laughs> yeah, don't worry, lead. I'll blow it. I get cocky. <laughs> okay. I think I think, I, I think Alan might be, uh, might be uh, good for this one too. But uh, Paul Coffey. Was he an oiler in 1986-87? That's a t- yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the trade happened um, the following year. I, 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 88, 87, 88, when Craig Simpson came over. I will say yes. Yeah, you're right. You're all over that one. He uh, it was the the following um, the following. Uh, fall that he was traded to to the Penguins. I love uh, this game. <laughs> you like it, eh? <laughs> I, 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 I think I think the every second one maybe was a little harder. I must say I was I was uh, planning to do this just for for Jonathan last week, so I think you uh, chose wisely by going first there, Alec. Um, okay, John. Uh, Anatoly Semenov, 1992-93. <laughs> Al, uh, let's give you Grant Fuhr and Paul Coffey, uh, John, Anatoly Semenov. <laughs> okay, so I, I'm going to get this wrong. Should, should, but, uh, I, should, I, should I change the year to like 1974-75 for you? Or <laughs> yes, that I feel caught. So which, which year was the question? I'm sorry. 1992-93. Uh, 92-93. Okay, so I have... Or I had, I, when, back when I collected hockey cards, I had an Anatoly Semenov card, and I can picture it. And the thing that I cannot picture is the year in the corner. <sighs> I like I your think, problem solving. This is good. Oh, yeah, well, it's all I got. It's all I got. I, I, I mean, I was, I was six years old. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say, I, I, I'm going to say it was 92, 93, and I'm going to say he was an oiler. Unfortunately, it was oh. the Tampa Bay Lightning at that time. So. Best game ever. <laughs> <laughs> I, so so I, I need to get all three of my final ones right, and Al needs to get only one. To win. Yeah. Yes, yes. Oh. Uh, you're in a little bit of a hole. We'll, we'll, yes. We'll, we'll say that. Okay, uh, Al, uh, Craig Simpson, 1993-94. Oh, a podcast, with, with, a past podcast guest, Craig Simpson. You're asking if he was still an oiler? Yes, uh, yes. 
That is the okay. name of the game. Uh, God, um, I I know would have been. I'll say he was not an oiler. You are doing quite well, my friend. It he was not. He was a Buffalo Saber by that point. Yeah, I thought I I couldn't remember the exact year, but I remember he had a couple of injury years, and then they shipped him off to Buffalo. So, All right, John, you, we, you need to get going here, John. Come on. This, um, is, this is my last chance to do better than random chance, right? Because, I mean, I, any any idiot saying yes or no should get at least two out of five. The, the dice have no memory, John. <laughs> so another another kind of, speaking of, of Buffalo, this guy was uh, a prominent saber, uh, Marislav Chatan in 1996-97. Ninety six, ninety seven. Okay, so he was traded for Craig Millar. Mm. Yeah, still an Oiler, still an Oiler, because he was traded for Millar in ninety seven. I want to say it was. Uh, yeah, he was traded that season. So yes, he was still an Oiler during that <sighs> during yes. that point in that season. Yes, huge relief for, for everybody. Everybody listening, I'm, I'm sweating here. This that was a that was a <laughs> massive relief, for me. and that was not an easy one. That that one okay. was that was easier than an Anatoly Seminov. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay, we're gonna stick with the same year for you, Alan. Um, Scott Thornton. So again, 1996-97. Oh. oh my! This will be a pure guess on my part. Uh, this is when my kids were young. And you guys will find out that when your kids are young, <laughs> there's gaps in your knowledge. I'll say he was. Um, I'll say he was not an Oiler. You're doing pretty well, and I think you've just secured the the win. Um, <laughs> he was not an Oiler. He was uh, in Montreal. Well, I, at that I, point. I feel like I feel honored, and I also think that the, the questions favored me a little, and I thank you for that, Dan. Well, well, we're, we, we'll we'll play out the string. We'll do the the okay. the, uh, the, right. the Oilers uh, from 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 many other years as opposed to this one for John. Um, John John can play out the this, this string here. So, uh, Boyd Devereaux in 1999-2000 uh, was, was he no there. Okay, so Boyd Devereaux was a real high first round pick. Um, sixth, eighth overall. 99-2000. I'm, I'm stalling here because I'm I'm desperately searching my memory so as not to get too embarrassed by Al. Um, 99-2000. I think he was gone by then. I'm going to say not an Oiler. You're, uh, you are incorrect. He was still oh. an Oiler and then he, he went to Detroit after. One so. for four. One for four. Okay. And Al is four okay. for four. Okay, Alan. Um, Mike York. 2004-2005. He was traded. <sighs> oh. Damn it. He was he was not on the 05-06 that went to the Stanley Cup final. He was traded that summer, I think, for, maybe for Pekka. I'll say he was an Oiler. I'm going to jump in. Jump uh, he in. Was, yes, he's he, right. He yes. was for Pekka. <laughs> oh, I, th- I thought you were going to say there was a little... T- this, was a, this was my throw-off question for whoever went first. Uh, he was not an Oiler because there was no hockey that year. Oh, well, but he belonged to the Oilers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fine. But he was Oilers' he was property a, that year. 
<laughs> okay, yeah. okay, that was a trick. Uh, he was an Easterloin rooster in, in the German league. <laughs> that was a that was a little. Uh, now that was, that's the question be... you should have asked John. <laughs> where, where did he play that year? <laughs> and uh, lastly, we'll go Theo Peckham uh, during the lockout shortened in 2012-13. Yeah, because he couldn't. They had eight defensemen. He couldn't get in. I think he played like eight games because he was number eight on the rotation for Ralph Kruger. He was an Oiler 2012 13. Yes, for four games he was. That is correct. Okay. Wow. Two for for John and four, (laughs) four and a half, or however you want to slice it for for, for Alan. So So, this is quite well. this is one of the episodes I'll keep. I just want you to know that. I, I, <laughs> I don't think computer I, and play. I don't think you should let this go, Al. I think you should dunk on me every year that you know you're you were five for five because I I, I got to give you the, the well, York one. He, no, the York one. He okay. was he he was Oilers property. I got to give that to you. And, and I was <laughs> okay. uh, slightly slightly worse than a Magic Eight Ball. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know in in fairness and you know Daniel gave me the opportunity to go first or second. Uh, so it certainly wasn't him. I would say that you, the grade of your questions was a little more difficult. I'm going to go ahead and oh, say that. Magnanimous in victory. I, I, yeah, see, <laughs> this, is, this is why we keep you around. It's it's so rare. It's so rare you know for what? me to I, be victorious. I, I, I probably should have rearranged uh, some of the names, but that just required a little bit more work. So I left them the way they were. <laughs> John suffered as a I, result. But I think, I think I, yes, I think Alan did get the uh, the more... The more lenient uh, and easier path there. Well, it, it, this, I, this will be a memorable show. Now we're way over, so boys, thank you for everybody. Make sure you rate and subscribe the oil can on Apple. If you click on the show URL, theathletic.com/slash/theoilcan, you'll get forty percent off your subscription. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for listening to the Oil Can Podcast. Mm-hmm.